Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, wherever in the world you are joining us for this session. And this session, we're going to be speaking about German family businesses, the lessons learned, best practices, and how it can inspire African family businesses. And we're so excited to be having this session because we also have um, that planned mentorship and exchange program we have with German family businesses. So this interties into that conversation gets us to really think about some of the experiences Germany has had building, rebuilding, and as well as having these family businesses growing their economies and um, continuing to be the strength of um, the German people. And for this discussion, this fireside chat, I'll be joined by my co-founder, Nike Anani, and uh, myself, Titi And I have with us Andreas Spies, and he's going to be speaking to us from the German perspective, being um, a, a member of German, a German family-owned business and also having vast experience in this space. So welcome, Andreas, and I'd just like to give you the mic to introduce yourself. Thank you very much. Um, it's a great pleasure being with you uh, this evening. It's uh, it's 6 p.m. in Germany, in Berlin, Germany, where I'm residing. And it's a stunning sunshine outside. So uh, spring is finally breaking. Very happy. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I am, I'm quite honored and quite pleased to talk a little bit about um, resemblances, but also differences between Germany family business and what I came across and get, got to know as African family business. I think there's lessons to be learned from both sides. Um, I would like to contribute from the German side, of course. Sometimes I'm not really sure if I'm German or African. Um, you may or may not know that I'm married to an African and our children. So what are our children? Huh? Our children, are they now European or African or are they both? So we have three sons, and uh, um, so I think I think all of these these um, let's say all of these boundaries they they get more and more indifferent and more and more unimportant. Um, luckily, I have to say. But anyway, I am certainly born and raised in Germany. Um, I come from an old lawyer's family. Um, we go our law firm goes back into the 19th century, so 1880s. And um, we uh, we come from an industrial city called Düsseldorf. Düsseldorf is the backbone of the German steel industry, which used to be um, very, very um, important and uh, a leading industry. Um, it was one of the backbones of the German uh, um, industrial revolution in the late 19th century. And whenever there's business, uh, the lawyers follow and so um, my family, um, they founded a, a law firm in the, in the late 19th century in Dusseldorf. And that legacy is, continues until today. Although I have to say that I was the black sheep of the family and I ventured out to Berlin. Berlin is the capital of Germany. But in comparison to Dusseldorf, it's incredibly poor. And there's not so much money to be made, but uh, so much more glory and uh, fame. 
um, as all the politicians are here, the, the whole entertainment industry is here, and um, lots of startup companies are here in, in, in Berlin. So it's quite an intriguing and uh, thriving environment. Uh, we founded the law firm Spiels, Schumacher, Schmieg and Partners uh, in 1999, and we're one, now one of the leading, um, leading technology um, uh, advisors, legal advisors um, for mid-sized German companies. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to the term mid-sized a little bit later because German family business and mid-sized companies are very uh, related to each other. And I'm, I'm, I, I really wanna, want to point out some, uh, some intriguing points here. However, having said that, I, um, I was also quite involved in the renewable energy revolution, as we call it, in the early 2000s. Uh, we were the first one, Germany was the first country that passed a feed-in tariff, where actually you would be paid for feeding um, energy um, produced by renewable energy um, technology into the public grid. Um, this was the, the necessary incentivator for kickstarting um, the German new renewable energy revolution. And as such, uh, I was involved in quite some businesses. Some of them became world market leaders. And, um, and I quickly learned that especially solar energy will be the game changer uh, and has become the game changer in, in Africa, especially in the rural context, because for the simple reason that um, extending the public grid to those very dispersed and difficult to reach remote rural African areas is, is simply not commercially feasible. But decentralized solar solutions are. And as such, I started uh, together with my wife in 2006, a company in Ethiopia, which now is a leading uh, solar system integrator in Ethiopia. It's been profitable since many years. Uh, we also started a, a manufacturing business um, in also in Ethiopia, in Bahirda, uh, in the north at Lake Tana. It's also a profitable business. Um, I then started um, a, 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 quite a big company called Solar Kiosk. Solar Kiosk is active currently in uh, 10 African countries, um, in, uh, in West Africa, East Africa, and in Southern Africa, also in uh, several Southeast Asian countries. I served as the CEO of Solar Kiosk uh, for nine years. A company that is, is headed by a lawyer is, um, can be poisonous <laughs> because lawyers are known to slow down the process. But uh, luckily, I, I didn't do too much damage. Um, I served as the CEO for nine years and retreated in 2019. And since then, I'm back um, in, my, in my legal practice here in Berlin, Germany. But I have some other um, some other participations in in other companies in uh, throughout the African companies. I'm quite active. Um, I'm counseling startup companies, young companies, young entrepreneurs. I'm advising uh, some universities like INSEAD in in Paris, um, the Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Um, I'm on board of, um, uh, of of some organ, you know, of some um, uh, networks. And uh, yeah, I remain highly passionate about the whole sub-Saharan African continent and about the amazing opportunities that are out there, um, spearheaded as always by family-owned businesses. So I keep it as, as such as, um, as an introduction. Um, so uh, I don't know if you, if you want to ask a question or if you want me to immediately jump on my topic.
Yes, um, absolutely. I think we can just give you the floor to jump onto your topic. Just start with just um, giving us a bit of insight about some of the best practices you you think from your experience and just seeing the journey that family businesses in uh, Germany have made and the various challenges they faced and probably just sharing with us that journey and then sharing with us um, some of the best practices or um, benchmarks that African family businesses can look at, especially given the point in time where we are now, where people are definitely looking towards the continent as the next frontier and as the next economic leader globally, and um, how we can start preparing ourselves now. Mm. These are many questions. Um, uh, maybe you have to remind me to answer one or the other, but but it, it's pretty much in line of what I want to talk about. So, so when when we talk about German family business, there's one thing that that uh, needs to be understood. Um, as a matter of fact, um, medium-sized companies and uh, medium-sized companies defined in Germany are anywhere between 330,000 employees and uh, maybe a turnover um, between 10 million um, and several billion um, euros. Yeah? These companies are the backbone of the German, the German uh, ecosystem, uh, ecosystem and, and, and the, the German economy. Um, so it's quite different from the Anglo-Saxon uh, pictures. We do have large conglomerates. We have the automotive industry with with uh, with Audi, with VW, with uh, Mercedes-Benz, uh, uh, with BMW, with Porsche. We have large electrical companies like Siemens. Certainly, a global uh, global players. But but interestingly enough, even the German uh, automotive industry is driven by innovation, which again comes from medium-sized companies. And without, uh, you know, there, 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 there have been, there have been market research and it, it's about, if I recall it correctly, it's about 80% of, uh, the German, um, um, the, the German GOP is, is generated by, um, by medium sized companies. Uh, so we are not dependent on the large, uh, internationals. Our economy does not depend on them. Our, our company, uh, our, our economy does not depend on the, on the, on the super, super large players. And that's also why, for example, the economic crisis in 2008 did not hit Germany very badly, whereas, whereas it had a, a devastating impact in, in our neighboring countries, especially in Great Britain, where for a while, um, at, at least from our perspective, the whole financial ecosystem collapsed. Um, in Germany, it was, it, it was relatively mildly. Why? Because it's independent, it's decentralized, it's not owned by a few, but it's owned by several ten thousands of medium-sized businesses. And these medium-sized businesses, within the frame that I, that I just described, in its majority owned by families. It's not owned by, um, by venture capitals or private equity. It's owned by families. And if you, for example, take a company that many of you will know, with, which is Bosch, Bosch is, is one of the largest industrial uh, players. They, they, they are, they are um, tremendously important in the car industry. I think they have 50,000 employees. It's, uh, it's family-owned, 100% family-owned, 100% family-owned. There's no private equity in there. There's no, no BlackRock. Uh, no, you know, it's, no, it's not there. 
Of course, they get offers all the time, but um, but it's, it's it's run by the family. And the way and the way they do it is they they uh, they generally have a um, a family foundation, yeah, which is a, which is an independent uh, vehicle. And the family foundation is then the shareholder in the family-owned business, and then the foundation is responsible for keeping the business integer and keeping it aligned with the family standards and the family um, family objectives. And that's how you preserve a very strong influence even for large companies um, by the by the owner um, which is which is the family. So so I think this is this is a this is a tremendous difference that we have in the German economy, which has huge advantages. It makes us quite independent, it makes us quite resilient, it makes us Uh, extremely innovative because, as you know, medium-sized companies are the in innovators. They are the ones that uh, that um, that conquer the the the, the new frontiers. Um, it also has some downsides. Uh, families are complex. Uh, family uh, families are not always pulling on one string. Sometimes there's uh, there's feeds between family members. Um, I can give you famous examples. Uh, the largest German retailer is Aldi, and there's Aldi all over the world now. Uh, I heard that Aldi is is now uh, gaining momentum even in the in the in the in the U.S. retail market. Uh, the two brothers who founded Aldi they don't speak a word to each other. One of them died, uh, but the families are 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 fighting, and they are they are they're going to court all the time. They're suing each other, and so forth, and so forth. So that's a that's certainly um, a destabilizing factor, which or a destabilizing impact, which families that don't pull on one string can have can have. So I'm not trying to idealize it um, and say family is the solution to everything, but certainly it has advantages, significant advantages, but it also may have uh, significant disadvantages. Uh, if you think of the Desla brothers, uh, there I, I think there has been a Netflix movie about those two fellows. Um, they are the founders. Of Adidas and of Puma, yeah? and why was that so? Because one brother didn't like the other brother and kicked him out of the of the first business, which is Adidas. And then the second one said, "You know what? <laughs> I'm going to do my own thing and started Puma." And both of them are now, you know, leaders in the in the in the market. Uh, and it's very funny because they're in a small German uh, city um, in uh, Herzog and Aurach, and and one is one is at the one end of the city, and the other one is at the other <laughs> at the other end of the city. So th this is this is the sometimes strange um, the strange um, the strange ways that that family-owned businesses go. But I think overall, it 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 is a, it is an inspiring role model, and it really can serve. As the backbone of a very healthy national economy, and this is what I sometimes um, what I sometimes wonder when I'm in, in uh, when I'm traveling through Africa: do the do the governments, do the regulatory framework provide for a healthy environment for family businesses to to thrive? Yeah. Or are they just incentivizing the large conglomerates, the large uh, finance-backed uh, projects, especially in infrastructure, and keeping out um, local local family-owned businesses? This is sometimes a question that I have. It's a question mark that I have. And I believe a lot of it has to do with the mindset of the governments. A lot of it has to do with the regulatory framework, which can be incentivizing, but which can also be demotivating. Tax 
is one issue, a big issue. Uh, every 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 businessman and every businesswoman will always complain about paying taxes. But how do you how do you give tax tax incentives to those innovators, which use, usually come from medium sized businesses, which usually come from family owned businesses, at least here in Germany? How do you tax and incentivize it? Uh, how do you how do you motivate these businesses to keep on? How do you motivate them to to go into international markets? Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that some of you have traveled through Germany and um, there are regions where in every small village, in the smallest, tiniest village with maybe 300, 400 inhabitants, you will find a world market leader in one very specific um, technology, you know, you know, some screw that they invented, some certain electrical part that they invented. And they, are, they have a patent, a worldwide patent, and they're a world, world market leader. In a, in a small village, you will find them in small villages with three to four hundred inhabitants. You find a world market leader with a turnover of several billions. I want to see this in Africa. I want to see this in Africa. I want to see rural areas in Africa with world market leaders, family owned businesses, medium size, making several um, billions of, of turnover in a small village in a rural environment. You know, um, what I see in many in many African jurisdictions is very centralized, very much following um, Anglo-Saxon um, role modeling. Um, I wish I wish that um, that also other ways of doing business would be taken into consideration, more decentralized, uh, more family owned, with a higher influence of uh, of local family owned businesses. And for example, in, an, in, an, in a, a very secluded um, regulatory um, environment like Ethiopia, which, as, as we all know, was never colonized and which has their very particular um, special way in, in about everything that they do business-wise, you, you can be assured that family-owned businesses have a very, very high impact on the overall economy of, um, of the Ethiopian uh, state. Yeah? And this is because um, they they did not follow the the principles of centralization of global finance uh, taking over, but they followed a more decentralized principle. And they are certainly uh, they are certainly their regulatory framework provides for uh, leadership uh, leadership of um, of family owned businesses. Um, retail business in Ethiopia cannot be done by foreign owned companies. The whole retail sector is secluded. For foreign-owned companies, and if a foreign-owned company in Ethiopia is considered, if one share is owned by a foreigner, then it's a foreign-owned company. Uh, so even if you have a, a company with uh, ten thousand shares and one share is owned by a foreigner, it's a foreign-owned company. That's how strict the laws are. The whole finance sector. There's no way that a non-Ethiopian uh, will come in. It all has to be locally owned. I'm not saying that this is the right way to do it, but I'm saying there. Are, this is certainly then motivating very much um, local local family-owned businesses uh, to to take and accept uh, leadership positions. So uh, I also want to talk about uh, some some challenges. I want to talk about some best practices. Um, one one very important example is um, the transformation of family-owned business if it if it's being passed on from one generation to the other. I'm a lawyer. I have. Uh, my, my family has, has advised countless medium-sized companies in that transformational process. How do you make sure um, that, that it's a smooth transition? 
how do you how do you prevent that the the elders can't let go and that the youngers are not ready to take over huh? how how can you prevent from that and we in germany we have um, we have a lot of um, of uh, lobby lobby networks that are specializing on the transformation of um, of the legacy from one generation to the other generation we have countless advisors who specialize only on this topic that's the only thing that they do they advise medium sized family owned companies to make sure that the legacy the transformation of the legacy from one generation to the next is a is a smooth and a flawless process i think that's something that could be interesting for african family owned businesses african african families are very complex are, are very big um i am i am a, i'm a member of an of an african family i have so many um i have so many nieces and nephews i can't count um how do you transform a business healthy in a healthy way from one generation to the other that's that's a very interesting very very interesting topic and i think that african family owned businesses can um can learn from the best practice that we have here in germany where we where we're doing it for hundreds of years we have so many businesses that that have stayed within the families not for 100 years but 200 years 300 years 400 years uh, the only the only other the only other economy that i know that is so family oriented is the the, uh, the japanese environment which is very very much based on families so that's one thing and then the other thing is what if um for example um you have a you have a uh, you have a medium sized family owned business that is specialized in one sector now wants to venture out into a new sector huh? uh wants to wants to have a transformation not within a generational context but within a within a sectoral context how do you shift your focus because of course one of the large advantages that family owned businesses have is their network they have an amazing network it's it's a family owned network it's a it's a network based on trust as we all know trust is the main facilitator of business in a global on global scale if you trust your partner you do business if you don't trust you don't do business it's as simple as that uh, all these 100 pages of contracts they are only they are only there because people don't trust each other if they trust each other they write the contract on the back of a napkin it's enough you know with my partners in ethiopia we don't even have a contract and it's been going on for you know since 2006 it's not too bad so so how 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 do you how do you enable that a the family can venture into a new sector uh, taking their old network which is very often uh, focusing on on the on the on the previous sector that the business was active in to the environment of the new sector that's also a large challenge but also a large opportunity and again we have advisors that only focus on this and it's called interims management so they help they come in for an interim period of time to and help the family owned business to transform their sector focus from one sector to the new sector from one uh from from one certain technology to another technology I have I I can give you uh, I can give you an example um you know I'm I'm currently counseling um a, a German family owned business which is a, a market leader in fire security 
So they, they are responsible for fire security in airports, in large corporate buildings, in large government buildings, and so forth and so forth. And now by default, they have developed a technology which can enable mass testing of any kind of virus yeah? by default. Because one of their, one of their, their sideboards, which prevents from fire, is also able to, um, uh, to stabilize all the, you know, this virus material. And then you can do uh, testing on, 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 on the surface of this, but not, not one test or 10 tests, but 10,000 tests on a, on a small, on a small, you know, small sideboard like this. So you can basically, um, make much more rapid testing. For example, in airports where, where time is of the essence or football games, you know, where tens of thousands of people want to watch a game. You can test them within 15 minutes. So, but now there's this family owned business and there's these, you know, it's a, it's a family and they, they have done fire security for hundreds of years and now they have this new opportunity. So how are they shifting into this new opportunity? They don't have a network in the medical sector and the health sector. Yeah. They are, of course, not experts. Yeah. It's everything is, is done on, based on trust, on family integrity and so forth and so forth. And now they're venturing into, into a new, into a new sector. And again, the answer is interim management. Guys like myself from the legal side, very experienced experts who focus on helping these family-owned business to transfer and shift from one sector to the other. And they do nothing else but this. They are specializing on exactly this field. They don't take a share in the company. They don't have a personal interest. They are very high paid. Of course, they get, they're very highly incentivized but um, they are not private equity um, and, and they are not, they're not sh uh, driven by shareholder value. So that's also quite interesting, I believe. And it could be applied, I believe, in, in, in many African, uh, in African family-owned business contexts as well. So, so, so these are things that I see. These are things that I notice. And um, I had the, I had the, the honor um, to accompany our, our chancellor, uh, Dr. Angela Merkel, on, on several business trips, uh, not business trips, but administration trips uh, to, uh, to African countries. Um, and I was part of the business delegation, business delegation. And uh, so it's very funny. Uh, so in the, in, the, in the front of the train, there's Angela Merkel and her staff. In the middle, in the middle uh, which is the, the business class, there's all the business guys. And in the back, there's all the journalists <laughs> in economy. <laughs> and and you, would, you would wonder you would wonder who who are the business delegates on Angela Merkel's on Angela Merkel's chancellor plane, which is just the highest ranking plane in, in Germany. And then you will find guys like myself on this plane. You will also find Joe Kaiser from, from Siemens, the ex-CEO of Siemens, but you will find several family-owned businesses, you know, who are specialized, for example, in sanitation, in, um, in water filtration, in some medical care solutions, in, in, in printing banknotes, uh, currencies, things like this, which, which is where, where Germans are really good. Germans are good at technology, as we all know. They're, they're great engineers. They're great inventors. And you'll find these inventors, you find these family businesses on Chancellor Merkel's plane. And, and Angela Merkel is promoting these businesses. She's helping them. She's not helping large conglomerates. Of course, she also will help them if they have a good cause, but she's helping distinctively and deliberately um, driven by, by objectives, German medium-sized family-owned businesses.
And I sometimes, you know, when I'm on these planes, I have a, I have a, you know, a young CEO from a family business in his mid twenties and he's on the plane because that's, that's how German economy works. We as, as Germans, we help our German families to do business. That's natural. That's why we take, pay taxes. Yeah. We pay taxes. And we say, okay, we pay taxes and you help us doing business. It's, it's, it's a straight deal. Is this the same in, 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 in the African context? Are African leaders um, promoting their African family-owned businesses? Are they, are they on the planes when, when business is being done? I don't know. But I think it's, it's great. It's great to do so. And there's no shame in it. Vice versa, there's a lot of pride in it. I want to see many, many African-owned family businesses. Uh, I want to see them thrive. I want to see them... I want, I want to see that them doing global business on global scale. That's that's why we're here. That's that's what unites us. That's why uh, that, that's why we're talking here. So I, I've given you a, a little bit of background here. Um, uh, I don't want to do a presentation. I'm, I'm not the guy who's putting uh, PowerPoint slides uh, on a board. I'm more a guy to talk to. Uh, very humble. Um, I, I keep it. I keep it simple. So I'm, I'm very happy to, to take your next question and uh, go any direction you want me to. Thank you so much, Andreas. That was so insightful. Um, I'm intrigued by the history of Germany's family business ecosystem and how it's contributed so successfully to the economy. Um, I wonder whether you know a little bit about the history how and why um, Germany's economy has been so successful. At, like you said, there's no dependence on... Um, conglomerates, international companies, but really there's a lot of homegrown um, entrepreneurship that's been, you know, legacy enterprises that are household names all over the world. What do you have some history yeah. on that? That's a great question, Nika. That, that, that's an amazing question. And you know, only when you ask the question, I even come to think about it because I take it so much for granted. But now that you're asking the question, of course, I have the immediate answer. The immediate answer is that Germany is an extremely decentralized federal system, yeah, which is a which is a blessing, and it's also sometimes um, it's uh, it's a spell. Uh, um, but it's a blessing in many perspectives. We don't, you know, we don't have Paris or London or Rome or Madrid that that rules the rest of the country. Take 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 London. Away from England, how much of the economy will survive? Take Paris away from France, how much of the economy will survive? Take Berlin away from Germany, there's no impact. It doesn't matter because we are very decentralized, very decentralized. And why are we decentralized? Because Germany didn't exist 200 years ago. There was no Germany. Germany was unified only in the, in the mid of the 19th century, as, as, as some of you may know. So it's, what is it now, 160, 170 years ago. Uh, that's when it was unified. But it was never unified in the sense that we all now submitted to a central system. But we only submitted only to the German flag, to the German language, to a German code of law, to German tax authorities um, and to a German uh, to a German king, of course, at the time, but we kept our independence on federal on on on, on the federal uh, uh, ground, um, on and so not only not only on the federal ground but also on the regional ground. So even not not just the federal states have a lot of independence. 
We have independence in regards to school. We have independence in regards to the police. We have independence in regards to so many things. The, the, the states rule. And then not only the states rule, but then the communities rule. The independence of the communities is so high. And that's why the independence of local businesses, of course, is so high. You know, we don't have one factory that fabricates paper. I'm just taking a very simple example. But we have hundreds of them, each one for their own region. We don't have three big beer breweries like many, many other countries, but we have thousands of them, thousands, literally thousands. Yeah, it's all decentralized. It's all very decentralized. And it is decentralized because of the history of Germany. And the history of Germany has always been decentralized. It's funny, it's funny to think because, you know, when you see Germany, you would think it's a very hierarchical, it's very strict, it's, it's top down. You know, that's the, the picture that you perceive. And unfortunately, that picture um, has been portrayed by a very dark moment of German history, which lasted 12 years and, and ruined the whole picture, which of course was uh, the, the German Nationalsozialismus, the German fascism. But, but that's, that's, not, that, that's not what Germany stands for. Germany is decentralized. Germany is free. Germany is independent. And that's why medium-sized businesses thrive. And medium-sized is perfect for family context, right? Because that's exactly the size that a family can fathom and a family can control. Uh, and that's, I think that's a simple answer, but, it, but I, it's an honest answer. And I think it's also an accurate answer to your question. And then looking at transition, when you look at family businesses in Germany and the way they've managed to transition as medium-sized companies, how have they managed to, to have that transition happening, especially when you have multiple generations, different children, and we know the complexities that come with families. Um, and then you're looking at the African context where probably families not not quite sure how, how big they are in the German context, but in Africa, I think with this generation, we've seen families getting slightly smaller, but still um, our families can range from one child up to nine or 10 children. Yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. How has that transition, uh, how has uh, German medium-sized businesses, yeah. family business been able to try to manage that transition? Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, I think, I think that's, that's, that's a very, very uh, interesting question. And, and, and the first thing that I, and this is something I always say, I always say, look, Africa and Europe are not so far apart. Yeah? Um, it's, it's not, it's not that everything is different in Europe uh, and it's not that everything is different in Germany. Uh, Germany, after after World War II, was a developing country. Yeah? It was a developing country. It was completely in ruins. Everything was bombed out. There was no economy. There was nothing. And now look, uh, 70 years later. Yeah? So, uh, but but my grandmother experienced hunger. My grandmother was poor. My father grew up in a bunker. Yeah? They didn't, didn't have a home. So poverty is something that we're extremely, extremely equated with. And that's the same with family size. So my, my grandmother had 12 siblings, of which eight survived. And then two of them died in the wars, in the First and the Second World War. Yeah? But we, we, are, we are very much acquainted with large families. So, so I first want to take away um, the prejudice that, that Europe is so different from Africa and Germany is so different from, from Africa. It's not. The complexity is, is the same. And I think family is family. Yeah, um, an African family and a, and a German family will have a lot in common. 
And when I'm saying Africa, I'm, I'm being very superficial. I know that Africa is a continent and Germany is a country. And you cannot compare a, a family from Sierra Leone with a, with a family from Mozambique. I know that. I'm, you know, I'm just saying this for simplicity. Um, and, and I beg your pardon for that. So, so, um, the answer, the answer lies in, in, in two aspects. The answer first is something that I mentioned before, but I said in a side sentence, don't put the shares of the family business into the hands of individuals. That is, um, that's a plan for disaster. Put it in the hand of a foundation. And then in the foundation, you can have several interests, but the foundation owns the company. So that means the company will always be ruled by one entity, not by several family members. Yeah, that's a ticket for disaster. And have it, having, having it done through a foundation, and we have these family foundations, it's a very common phenomenon here in Germany. Yeah, the Bosch Foundation, the Siemens Foundation, I, I, can, I can name hundreds of them. And, and even small families like our family, of course, we have a foundation. It's natural. That's the one thing. And then the second thing is have advisors who have two qualities. First of all, who have the trust of family owned businesses, which is hard to gain. It's hard to gain. So that again takes generations. And secondly, have the expertise to understand the complexity of a family environment, which is a completely different complexity than the, than a, than a, than a shareholder value a finance-backed uh, conglomerate, uh, it's a different complexity. But nonetheless, it's a very deep complexity. And we have these advisories. And we have them for regions. We have them for sectors. Yeah? We have them, um, so we have them in a, in a matrix. Yeah? So maybe, for example, in the, in, the, in the state of Bavaria, you will have advisors that have deep knowledge about families in Bavaria in the automotive industry. Yeah? Or advisors in the health industry in Baden-Württemberg, which is another state, another federal state. So to give you a simple answer, and of course, a simple answer only catches whatever, 70, 80% of, of, of the truth, but, but at least that's a first start. The answer is uh, make it simple and have the family interest within a foundation so that the companies never become dysfunctional. Sorry about that. And then secondly, have advisors that focus on the regional particularities of that family, which is very different from region to region, and on sectoral expertise. Thank you, um, Andreas. Just wanted to dig a little bit deeper in terms of comparing Germany's family business landscape with your experience. Um, Africa is a large continent, we appreciate that, but just some observations, some similarities and some um, differences that stand out to you? Yeah. Okay, so I think I pointed out a lot of similarities, yeah, in, uh, um, and, and, and I hope you appreciate it. I would say there are some things that I, that I praise a lot. I think usually in an African context, the wisdom of the elders is much more appreciated, and I think that's good. I think that's the right thing to do. I, I sometimes miss it here in Germany where we say, ah, you know, these old guys, bah, whatever. Uh, we, the young people, we know everything. Um, but, but usually the elderly wisdom is, is something that, that should be taken into consideration, the wisdom of the elders. 
So that is something which I which I praise a lot because that's still quite intact. Um, sometimes it's also suffocating. Huh? Sometimes it's too much. Um, of course, it has to be the right balance. So so that's something that I that I acknowledge uh, in many African countries that I that that I travel to, and then and then something something that I maybe I don't see it, but maybe it's not there. I don't see usually the countries that I'm in that the government is promoting family business as much as they do in Germany. And that's why I deliberately gave you these examples of uh, me being in, in a minuscule, small, uh, medium-sized uh, family-owned business, being on a plane of, of Angela Merkel, our chancellor, uh, one of the most influential people probably in the world. Uh, and and I wonder if the same happens in in, in African countries that they that they that they not focus on an ethnicity, yeah, not on an ethnicity. You know, I I, I realize this. You know, the the Kikuyu and the Luo in in, in, in Kenya, the the Oromo and the uh, the, the Tigray in, in in Ethiopia and so forth. It goes on forever. Not ethnicity, but but that they promote families, families, family-owned businesses. Businesses owned by by families, by families that pay taxes, by families that 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 are the 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 ground and the basis for our human society and therefore also for business. Maybe maybe I don't see it. Maybe it's there and I just don't see it. I don't know, but I don't see it. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. I just don't see it enough. And certainly from a regulatory point of view, and I'm a lawyer, so. That's where I have a little bit of expertise. I certainly think there's a lot of room for, or some room for improvement. Uh, I gave you a good example, which is Ethiopia, um, but I can also give you not so good examples. And I'm not going to point my fingers now at several at certain states. That's that's not me. Uh, but I will certainly, um, you know, I will certainly share this wisdom um, behind closed doors. Um, and I think there's there's lots of room for improvement to incentivize and uh, motivate family businesses to thrive, to extend, to become larger, to be proud, to be promoted, and so forth. Just touching on um, what you said and also looking at uh, some of the conversations we've had on um, African history, and um, I, 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 I get what you're saying in terms of having governments promote family businesses instead of looking at ethnicity and tribalism and so forth. Uh, which I think a lot of these issues are, are, are still issues that Africa needs to really sit down and deal with because um, I think, as we've mentioned before, the whole issue of um, when colonialism happened, Africa was divided up into pieces without um, that consideration of um, the tribal issues, the history behind it, as well as the ethical, um, ethnic issues and the histories behind it, which is something that is probably... Um, that you haven't had to deal with in Germany or in 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 some parts of, of of Europe, although we have seen it here and there, but it's not as prevalent as it is in Africa. Mm-hmm. So the question would be: um, looking at that, uh, what I would say would be comparative mm-hmm. when we're looking at at the German conversation would be, mm-hmm. especially after. Um, the Second World War, and there was fragmentation, mm-hmm. and um, there was um, a lot that had happened. How mm-hmm. did your government then work towards building the country and mm-hmm. encouraging 
um, the focus on family business mm. and um, the unification, because also there's that issue of East Germany and West Germany. And th th those conflicts were, the, were issues that impacted mm -hmm. the country. And um, those can be reflected on some of the issues we f we face on on Africa. Not not exactly, but um, there's still conflicts and there are still issues that um, face the the ordinary man on the street as well as the government that is mm -hmm. trying to maybe at times do what's best for the man on the street and sometimes is completely tone deaf to mm -hmm. what uh, family businesses need. How did um, Germany as a country mm -hmm. manage to? navigate those difficulties mm -hmm. and um, then bring itself back on track to focusing on what really mattered, which is growing the economy and um, allowing that empowerment of uh, the critical um, source, which is family businesses. Mm, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. And, and honestly, how, how did the, my, my grandfather and grandmother generations, how did they, how did they do it after World War II? It's still a big mystery for me. I don't know. I, I, I honestly, I don't know because you, you rightfully said there were, there were millions of refugees, millions of refugees within Germany. Um, you know, coming from the East, uh, from, from what was then Prussia, what then became Poland. Uh, from from what then became Czechoslovakia, and Czechoslovakia doesn't even exist anymore. Um, uh, you know, um, so so and and they and they all they all immigrated to the West, and now the West suddenly had millions of, of more people, and 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 the West, of course, was bombed out. It was down. People were starving of hunger. How did they do it? It's still a big miracle. I you know my my layman's. My lamest explanation and what I heard from my grandparents, what I heard from elderly, from elder people speaking, and now uh, this will put a big smile on your face, is uh, it was done by women. Yeah, that puts a big smile on your face and rightfully so. It was, done by, it was done by women. And why was it done by women? Because the men were dead. There were no more men. The men either died in war or they were in, in they were war prisoners in Russia. Yeah. Um, I'm, 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 I'm simplifying. Again, I'm simplifying, but with the simplification, I probably catch 70, 80% of the truth, which is good enough for a fire chat talk. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to publish a paper on this, but, but, but the women were the ones. The women were the ones. And you know, you know, women, and maybe I'm romantifying, but women don't think as me, but they think as we. And why do they do it? Because they are the cradle of the family. And the family is always we. Yeah, it's us. And the women did it. The women, the women, the women, they built, they built the economy. And you see, if you see the old documentaries, uh, you know, how, how did we, how did we uh, bring back to life the, those bombed out cities? Who, who was, who were, who were the ones cleaning up the mess? Well, the, the women. It was the women. So, so I, I, I guess that women uh, don't have these fundamental, uh, dogmatic, uh, dividing um, objectives, but more unifying, uh, finding win-win situations. How can we all survive? How can we all thrive? So I think, and that's, and that's also something that I wish for um, uh, some, some of the African environments, that they would appreciate more what the, women's are, what the women are doing. Uh, uh, what the women are are uh, are delivering. Uh, that's that's why I personally most of my businesses are run by by women. Uh, I, I I encourage that. 
Um, not because I'm a, I'm a feminist. I'm not a feminist. I'm a businessman. And, and it's, it's a simple fact. And it's proven that uh, many businesses thrive once they're, they're run by women. So that, that I think is, is, a, is a good answer. It's quite a good answer. I think uh, a, lot, a lot more decision-making should be done by women. And a lot of leadership to, should be taken over by women. And luckily, we are now coming to that stage, finally. Yeah, we're coming to the stage. We're coming to the stage where even now the leaders understand, um, the, 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 the big companies understand, we have to have more women um, in, in leadership position. It's better. It's better for all of us. It's women and it's diversity. Uh, that, 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 makes it, that makes the difference. That makes a difference. And if you have the diversity, that glues together people, right? It glues together people. It eradicates um, the, the, the dividing of people because then we all understand, well, in the end of the day, uh, we're all the same. Um, I have very simple terms, um, and I'm not going to say it, say it here because it's inappropriate, but we all have to do the same business, and then we all die, right? <laughs> There's nothing more to it. Um, and, and, and that's, and that's what, that's what I think we have to learn. And that's how we can overcome a lot of challenges, um, also in the, in the current uh, African context. And look, look at the countries where, where women are in leadership positions, either they take over uh, certain ministries, um, you know, uh, we have good examples, especially in these days. It has, it has a very positive impact. It's, it's, uh, it's disruptive in a very, very positive way. Yeah. And then, and then of course the other, the other thing, and that's something where I cannot, I cannot really contribute because we don't have this is the polygamy. Yeah. Um, this, this is something that I simply, I, I don't, you know, as a, as a European, uh, we, we don't have this, we don't have this in, in, in our, in our societies. So I could imagine that this also uh, creates a lot of complexity and, and a lot of uh, question marks, especially when you want to do uh, family-owned business, yeah. Um, but but there, I can only listen, and and I, you know, I cannot contribute. I can only listen and try to understand. Wow, thank you so much, Andreas. We have a comment from Antoinette in the chat box. Thank you, Andreas. This has been a very insightful session. In Kenya, we are in the infancy stage of devolution, and hope that family businesses here can attain similar successes to those of German family businesses. I think. We can say the same across the whole continent. Um, by and by, most, by, for the most part, we're all in a very infancy stage and wish to learn from our counterparts in Germany. Um, should anyone wish to get hold of you, um, how best can they reach you? I, I would say through you. Uh, I, I hope that's possible. Um, yeah, my, I, I have a very humble uh, approach. I, I speak to everyone. Um, I make no difference. Uh, I learn. I learn a lot usually from uh, security guards and cleaning ladies. They 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 very often have wisdom that I wish I had. <laughs> so yes, I I'm, I'm very open. Um, I think that's that's what we have to be. We have to be open. We have to be talking to each other, sharing, and that's why I I also really um, uh, endorse and and support your initiative. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so, I'm so impressed uh, by, by what you, by what you have set up and, and how you're doing it. I think that's certainly a way for the future. So I wish you lots of success with that. Thank you so much, Andres. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.